0: This morning's reading is from Galatians 4 and 5. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a divine promise. These things are being taken figuratively, The women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child, Shout for joy and cry aloud, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. This is the word of the Lord.
1: And so she's 80, so Abraham's looking like a we serious you know? He's confused, just like we would all be. But What's 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 interesting is um, Abraham, because he doubts, he kind of just gets into a place of well, I know what God said, but should I make something happen? It's kind of just in this point of like, what God told me that Sarah specifically would would be would father or would mother um, a child who would lead to the nations, and so he kind of gets in this predicament. And what happens is Sarah t- says, hey, here's Hagar, our maidservant, sleep with her. You know, maybe she will bear your child and then the nations will come through them. And then in Abraham, he's like, you know, it's crazy to watch, but he's passive. He's like, oh yeah, you know, maybe that's right. Take matters into his own hands, sleeps with Hagar and, um, and kind of proceeds that way. And so Paul is alluding to this right here in, in, in these verses. Um, And he says, his son by the slave woman was born, is verse 23, was born according to the flesh. But his son by the free woman was born as a result of a divine promise. So what you see is Abraham took matters into his own hands. I was thinking about this, you know, growing up when you were a kid, you know, you would come home or whatever from school, get there about 3.30. You know, parents like, hey, I'm coming back. I'll be there at 5.30, but don't touch the snacks on top of the fridge until I get home, you know, and you're like, "Mm," you know. 3.30, 5.30, 3:30 5:30 you know It's like all right 2 hours you know as man you know you're you're upset all you, are all you stand there and just look at the snacks right for 2 hours you just like mm, you know and then you like man she, she said i would get it when, when when she gets home you know and you're just looking at it you know, not trying to wait climb up the fridge you know get the glass jar down break it all nobody gets any snacks you know i was thinking i was thinking about it It's like you know In that time as a kid, I'm not trying to wait on my parents to get home. No, I want these snacks. I want them right now. You know, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. But when I do that, it results in nobody getting anything, right? It results in no benefit. There's nothing good that comes. And I think about Abraham taking matters into his own hands. One commentator said this. He said, Abraham took matters into his own hand when it came to the will of God and the promise of God. He couldn't fathom how God would allow Sarah to get pregnant at her old age, and Sarah couldn't either. So they decided it would be a good it would be a good idea to bring a son through Hagar, the maidservant. And, and you see, the problem with this is Sarah was a wife, but Hagar was the maidservant. See, so there's an issue here, because she was a maidservant. She was to remain as that. And so Paul addresses this because this is pointing to the law and the covenant, the new covenant. The law was never meant to save people. It was there in place as a maidservant until the new covenant of grace will come. So everything through Hagar is from the flesh and is us taking matters, is Abraham taking matters into his own hands. And that's one of Paul points directly. That's one thing Paul is addressing in those couple verses. Taking matters into our own hands versus trusting God for his timing. And I think we experience that present day. I mean, we think about, you know, I work on a college campus, you know, and so I'm talking to 19 and 20 year olds all the time. And, you know, they just think if they don't have a boyfriend or girlfriend right now, they're going to be single forever. You know, I'm like, hey, you're 19 and 20. I understand, you know, you don't understand, you know, how life fully works yet and all, you know, and you're learning a whole lot. But so what happens is there's like, hey, God, I don't want to wait for your timing. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. And then we see, you know, people get relationships and different things like that, but they just did not want to be patient. I think about, it. you know, if somebody's working a job, you try to get a promotion, right? And you start doing things, right? You desire a promotion, but God may not have that for you. You start doing things that you wouldn't normally do, right? Trust that what God will bring in his own timing will be what's best for you. But, you know, people maybe get to scheming or doing some things that are just out of character, trying to make things happen in your own power versus just waiting on the Lord, I think about one that I experienced in my life where Jesus says in John 4, "Whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst.", I mean, this is a promise. Jesus says, "If you drink the water I give, you'll never thirst." That's a crazy promise. And, and sometimes I feel dissatisfied or discontent with my life, unsatisfied and I get to, and I think about that promise. And Jesus says, you know, you will never you drink the water I give you. You'll never thirst. But so often I just kind of veer off and numb, numb out into things that I think will bring me temporary quick satisfaction, take matters into my own hands, you know, and those things don't benefit me at all. You know, they don't do anything for me. Instead of waiting on the Lord to fulfill his promise, So the question kind of is, where in your own life is God asking you to wait and to trust? Where in your own life is God asking you to wait and to trust, but you're tempted to solve the problem on your own? You're tempted to take matters into your own hands. That's really the question here, and that's what we see, and that's what Paul is alluding to here in those first couple of verses. See, God has a timing for our life. We can cling to his promises and trust him for our best without taking matters into our own hands. What does it look like for us to wait on the Lord? But then what we see pretty clearly is what it means to live for the heavenly city, because he kind of goes into this decently confusing next couple um, verses. He says, these things are being taken figuratively. They said the women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Um, And so Mount Sinai is where Moses received the command from God, where he received the law. And so the law represents Hagar in this um, circumstance. And to this day, so what he said, to this day, currently over in Israel, a lot of the Jews, Orthodox Jewish folks, they are still desiring or trying to earn their salvation by upholding everything in the law. To this day, they are still doing every single thing in it. And that's incorrect. That's slavery. That's what Paul is acknowledging, He's saying, hey, all that you, you are doing, trying to earn your salvation and do these things that are good, all of that is off. You, you're, you're wrong. You're missing it. Um, and that's what he addresses in, in Hagar, but then he goes on and he says, now Hagar stands from Mount Sinai, belongs to the present city of Jerusalem, verse 26, but the Jerusalem that above is free and she is our mother. And then he goes in um, to, for it is written about the Old Testament. And Charles Spurgeon, he compares the two like this. He says, the Sarah covenant is the covenant of grace, not made with God and man, but made with God and Jesus Christ. The covenant of works was do this and live, O man, but the covenant of grace is do this, O Christ, and you will live, O man. The difference of the covenants rests here. Romans 8, 1 through 4, honestly gives the perfect picture of this, and I just wanted to read it slow because I'm it just exactly what we are talking about and the differences between the covenants and what happened with Jesus for us present day. Romans 8, 1 through 4 says this it says, Therefore there's now no condemnation for those who were in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do. Just the summary right there and how he ends that. We don't live, ultimately, what Paul is acknowledging and what he is saying here is we do not live according to the flesh and works and earning things, and we live according to the Spirit. So I wanted to kind of flesh that out a little bit. What does it mean for us to live according to the flesh or to live according to the Spirit? And and I, I, I would say it starts at conversion, right? When you gave your life to Christ, you profess to be born again, but where did that new birth come from? Did it come from God because of his eternal purpose and promise, or did it come from ourself? Meaning, was it your old nature? Was it our old nature just trying to do better and working ourselves up to be our best form? Jesus, you're going to help me be the best me I can be. Was it us trying to do better or working ourselves up to be our best form. If so, you are Ishmael. That's Hagar. That's of the flesh. Or was it that you being spiritually dead realize you have no strength whatsoever to rise out of your lost condition and you're completely yielded to God, submitting your life to him, receiving his holy spirit to cause life into you. you see the differences there that happen even at conversion the perspectives Spurgeon says, if you begin in the flesh, you have gone on in the flesh. If you began in the spirit, you will continue in the spirit. But what does it mean to continue? So here's some practicals. Well, what does it look like to live in our flesh can look like this, right? It means you do everything you're supposed to do, right? You go to church because you're supposed to. You try really hard to read your Bible because you're supposed to. You try really hard not to sin because you're supposed to. You may tell somebody about God randomly because you're supposed to. You pray because you're supposed to. You go to this small group because you're supposed to. All of this you just do because you're supposed to. That is a life of the flesh. You're just operating. You're just doing things that you know you should do with no spiritual life on the inside, no spiritual power from God. That is actual, legit slavery. You're just doing stuff. You don't enjoy it. There's no life there. And you're not earning anything. You're actually apart from God. There's nothing being earned there. You're not earning more favor and just doing that stuff with God. There's, no, there's, there's life or there's death. But what does it mean to continue in his spirit, though? right? Because we're free in Christ, redeemed by His blood, we know that heaven is where our home is. So we get this idea, this picture, living for our heavenly city, right? The Jerusalem above is free. So what it looks like to continue to walk in the Spirit is, well, yeah, you go to church to enjoy rich fellowship and worship among the body of believers, because this is what heaven is going to be like, eternal perspective, You read your Bible, but that's just to commune with the Father, the God who made you and who extended his grace to you. Wow, I get to spend time with him. You hate your sin and you beg God that he would deliver you from it because we know God desires to make us into the likeness of his son. And we know that's the best for us. You may tell somebody about God because Jesus says out of the overflow of your heart the mouth speaks. You can't you just can't hold it in. You pray because God wants to meet and talk to you and invites you deeper into a relationship. You go to small group with the recognition that God is shaping us through community as well, deepening friendships and we were built for that. This is living for the heavenly City. You see, and the set what's so dangerous about those is they look the same on the surface. Those look the same on the surface. One is just chores and me trying to earn and just doing things I know I should do. The other is freedom, real life, and a privilege and blessings that come with being born again. One is I'm fixing my eyes on the things that are right now, that are present day, that I need to do and get done. The other is longing and waiting for a heavenly city that I know is coming. And the things in my life are encouraging me and keeping me there. This is an eternal perspective. This is living for the heavenly city versus just operating in the flesh. How can I know if I'm living by the flesh or the spirit, right? How can I know if, if I am one or the other? I think there are a few good ways to know. I think living by our flesh is exhausting. That is tiring. I'm just doing a whole bunch of things over and over. I'm tired of it. Honestly, bitterness sits in there because there's no real connection with God. So I'm doing all this stuff, but I remain disconnected. That's upsetting, Anger, right? There's impulsive nature that exists from there. We can't keep the routine up for long, right? Living by the Spirit, what does that look like? Well, we receive the Spirit's power and are internally transformed at the deepest seat of our lives. And so we serve, we can serve and live in joy, peace, and the fruits of the spirit because we are living for our heavenly city that is to come among people who are also doing the same things. And we are experiencing the reality of that. We can know if I'm operating in my flesh or if I'm really living for the heavenly city and according to the promise that we now have and have embraced in Christ Jesus. And it's honestly cool um, to see Abraham, you know, he finally does understand after a while. And Hebrews 11:10, it, it it just sheds light on what Abraham was focused on. As, as God gave him a promise or promises for his life, Abraham multiple promises. Leave you know, leave your hometown. I'm gonna bring a nation. make a nation through you. But it, it gives us insight as to what he focused on. And Hebrews 11:10 says this. It says, "For he was looking forward to the city." with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Abraham was just focused on the heavenly city that is to come. And in that was experiencing all of God in this life. The heavenly city. But then lastly, what we see here is kind of just remaining free, remaining free and, this is honestly really crucial, I feel like, for the Galatians uh, to get an understanding of because um, verse 30, you know, he says, uh, what does the scripture say? He says, get rid of the slave woman and her son for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. What, what, what is he saying? He's saying that life of, by the flesh will never share in the same inheritance as the free woman's, as the life that is lived in the Spirit, and we are born, you know, of the free woman, the new covenant. We're born of the Spirit. He says, man, cut that off completely. And I have a friend, actually, who graduated from Mizzou a little bit of time ago, and he now lives in in Jerusalem. Uh, He lives over in, well, he lives in Israel, um, Tel Aviv, but is in Jerusalem often. And he was kind of just explaining to me different things he's been learning, about the Old Testament as he's been over there. And one of the things he said, he said, you know, to this day, people who, the Jews who are adamant about the law, who really keep the law, he said, like Joshua 1.8 is a verse that, you know, we've referenced a lot and or talked about a lot, me and him personally. Uh, But it just says, uh, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so you be careful to do everything written in it. He said, you know, that verse took on a whole new meaning when I saw Jews walking around and for 24 hours, everything that came out of their mouth was the law. He said, to the degree in which they are walking around and keeping the law is higher than anything I've ever experienced. And so he was telling me that, be that they because they really believe the law, and I think this is the context in which Paul is writing to, right. he's writing to people who are literally walking around keeping this law, like it, the, it's not departing from their mouth. Every, all they're saying is coming that, is coming to that. That kind of shed light as to why Paul is so adamant about helping them see, hey, that that is not life. That is not life with Christ. Because that in and of itself is, is so much to do. And I had no clue, you know, that people um, were still continuing uh, to do that. So when I was thinking about this for us, though, I was thinking, you know, I don't really have a fear that any of us are in here dying to uphold everything in the law, right? We're not walking around like, man, let me make sure 24 hours, everything I'm saying is coming from Exodus, you know? It's coming from numbers in the Bible. Everything I'm spitting out is, is just literally Old Testament, you know? I don't have a fear, you know, that that's happening. I doubt, you know, y'all got some animal sacrifices taking place in your house on the weekends, you know. Um, If you do, we need to invite you up and lay hands right now, you know. Pray pray for y'all. We need to cast that out, you know. uh... So we're not overly concerned, you know, with conforming to that degree of the Old Testament law right, as Paul is addressing here. But I think that we are very tempted to conform to our sinful nature and patterns that have been bred in our life as we grew up, because to know God is a completely new life. It's a completely new perspective. It's a completely new everything. lost what I was about to say, so everything is new. But the principle that we do see that is powerful for us is seen in Galatians 5 1. And that's where Paul says, Look, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And so, for us, what does a yoke of slavery look like for us? And I mean, a yoke of slavery, obviously, anything that's blatantly sinful. I mean, we live in a, in a pornographic generation, illegal drugs all the time, you know, blatant, things that are blatantly sinful, man, those are to be cut off when we come to Christ. So there's blatant things that we can look at and we're like, hey, these things are to be cut off. Don't let yourself be burdened by a yoke of slavery. We're free in Christ. But also there are things that are harder to detect that are underneath the surface that kind of will live there. I think about workaholism, if that's a correct word. Working too much, you right? Right? You just you at one point were enslaved to the grind. I find my value in how hard I get after it. People look at me like I'm doing something with my life because I'm grinding. Right, you just can't quit your job. Right, how do you cut that off? It's not like I just leave my job and there's no work, so I can make sure I don't fall into that again. So, that one is unique, but also the approval of others is unique. Right, something that sits underneath the surface honestly, I have to get that out of my own heart and did different days. Like, I'll be walking through something, will happen, and I'll be excited about it. Like, yeah, what they're gonna think of me, you know. And it's like, man, I hate that. But how deep does that sit in there so easily to detect? And how how often do we function doing things just for the approval of other people? That is a yoke of slavery. Or finding, you know, all your value in, in achieving something, unhealthy comparison, and evaluating, man, how do I stack up to others around me? Oh, that is a yoke of slavery. Image maintenance, right? Tempted to not tell the whole truth, but give 90 because you don't know how they're going to think about you. A yoke of slavery with all these things, we'll really only be able to get rid of them by replacing it with something stronger. Right? Cultivating authentic, real relationships with people instead of comparing. Right? Let me just be real with this person. I don't have to compare. I don't have to evaluate my life up to yours. Man, I am good in Christ. I'm free in Christ. I have the freedom to be my 100% self. When it comes to work, we work to honor God, right? We represent God wherever we're at. So we want to do our work excellently, but we never want to be mastered by it. I know that I'm fully accepted and fully embraced by Jesus. I don't have to be a workaholic living to please God instead of living to please other people, right? If I think about the audience of one in my life, no matter where I'm at, I have the audience of one, and it's God. No matter who's around me and what's going on, there is so much freedom in that, knowing that God has made me and designed me and wired me and everything about me God has put together. And now that I'm walking with him and free in him, now I don't have to do image maintenance. I don't got to look a certain way. God's made me who I am. There's freedom in that. Where are we tempted to be burdened by a yoke of slavery in our lives that Christ has set us free from? is the question. You know, Paul kind of concludes, you know, that there um, with it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. And then he says, stand firm. Some of those things that are harder to detect, it's so easy to slip back into them. Oh, it's so easy. I have to, honestly, I have to get, you know, the image maintenance stuff out of my heart often. Man, God, just, I hate that. I Get that out of there. Let us for freedom that Christ has set us free. He says, stand firm. Let us be free and know what we have in Christ. In Jesus, we have security in God. We have assurance. We are accepted by God, children of God. We've been digging into that, and that is so powerful. Children, God is our Father. We are image bearers. He calls us His majestic ones, ambassadors. We're loved. We're chosen. We're uniquely formed and made. We belong to Him. We think about who we are in Christ. There's so much freedom there, but it's so easy to slip back into thinking the ways of the world and the sinful patterns and the sinful mind in general. We belong to God. Let us not let sin or the world try to define who we are. Let us all be free in Christ and remain free in Him. I pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we are grateful, God, that you really have set us free. God, we're grateful that we really get to walk in that freedom. God, I pray that we would be people who stand firm in it. God, that we wouldn't slip back into the old way of life, God, the old way of thinking and the old way of functioning. Instead, God, we would just operate as a new creation in you. God, I pray, God, that we would evaluate, look at our lives, God, and see the ways in which we may live in the flesh, God, and that we would get rid of those and just live, God, by the Spirit. We are so grateful, God, that you have accepted us, that you've loved us, God, and that we have the privilege, God, to really know you deeply and intimately and to really walk with you. So, God, we pray all these things in your name this morning. Amen.